Proverbs chapter 30. Like I said, we've had a fantastic week here at Lance Free Church, Family Bible Week. Uh, you've got a little taste of it this morning. There was a lot more uh, yelling every night uh, than we did this morning. Maybe there'll be some more yelling as the, the day goes on. Lots of surprises. We still have a few more surprises for you today. At the end of the service, there's a picnic meal, and there's some special things we're going to be telling you about. So after our closing song today, we're going to sit back down and hear kind of the final results of the, um, uh, of the missions project that we're doing and a couple other prizes to be given out and so forth. Uh, as your pastor, I've got to say that I am so proud of you. It takes a whole church to put on a terrific week of Bible teaching and worship and fun and fellowship and evangelism like that each year, and this was a really good one. There's just a wonderful spirit about the place. Uh, so we had some guests with us. You clearly had invited some people to be here with us that, uh, to hear the gospel. Uh, it was wonderful to have everybody together each night and gather around your, uh, God's Word and to, to be with one another. Thank you to everyone who served. I think in your bulletin there's a whole page. We probably missed some people, too, because there's just everybody uh, came out and helped serve. Um, and everybody played their part on this team so well. Next week, I hope to return to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Did you remember that we we're preaching on the Sermon on the Mount? It's been actually a month since we were together in our current series. Um, we started in February. And I think it's about time to complete that loop. But because this is Family Bible Week and because the adult class has been studying the Proverbs all week, I thought it would be best if we were in the book of Proverbs together today during our last night of Family Bible Week. And this particular passage, have you found it? Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6, is about the why we have Family Bible Week in the first place. Why do we have Family Bible Week? Why do we go to all the trouble? Why is Bible our middle name for these events? In the summer, we have Family Bible Week. During the school year, we have Family Bible Night. And each and every Sunday, our central message comes across in the preaching is the B-I-B-L-E. Why is that the book for us? Now, I've been to churches where there's very little preaching from the Bible. I, I went to a church... Uh, uh, a few times when I was growing up, where the stories were pretty much out of Reader's Digest, kind of inspirational little quotes and things uh, to, to hear about that were nice and inspiring. The Bible might be on display, it might be on a table and out there, but it isn't central to the life of the church or to the believers in that church. Several of you told me this week that you had never heard the stuff we were learning in the adult class, even though you'd grown up in church. We were studying the Proverbs, and some, a number of you said, never heard that stuff before. Uh, that's not familiar to me. You weren't encouraged to read the Bible for yourself. Why is the Bible so central to our ministry here? It's because the Bible is God's Word, and it's completely and absolutely trustworthy. God's Word can be trusted. You can trust your Bible. You can, set, you can take what it says to the bank. And that's the message of Proverbs 30, especially verses 5 and 6 today. But verses 5 and 6 have a context that we can't ignore, namely verses 1 through 4. So let's start there and then work our way down to our key verses for today. Let me read you Proverbs 30, 1 through 6. Follow along as I read. 
the sayings of Agur, son of Jekah, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and to Ukul, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Every word of God is flawless. That's our sermon title this morning. Would you give us the first screen, Jacob? Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for family Bible week. We've sung about W-I-S-D-O-M. Now we're going to think about the B-I-B-L-E. Thank you, Lord, that this is the book for us. That you have spoken in your word and given it to us. And here it is translated into our own heart language. And we have the opportunity to study it and have it get into us. A divine word. A word from God. That's exactly what we need. So help us, Lord, to get it, to understand it, and to apply it to our life. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to get to verses 5 and 6. But to truly understand those, we have to get to know the person who wrote them. His name is Agur, A-G-U-R. He's the son of Jekka, and that's all about all we know about him. Agur's name doesn't appear anywhere else in the whole Bible for us to look him up and find out more about this guy. Some people think that Agur was a pseudonym for Solomon, a pen name, but I don't see very much evidence for that. I think that Agur was just another person God used to reveal himself to us, and God's people recognized that and included his sayings in this chapter of the Proverbs for us. The Bible says that his words here in Proverbs 30 are an oracle, or if the King James says prophecy, or the 2011 NIV says an inspired utterance. They came from God. And verse 1 says that he spoke these words to Ithiel and to Ukul, whom we also don't know anything about. Are they Agur's sons? We don't know. I wish that Heather and I had named our sons Ithiel and Ukul. Wouldn't that have been fun? Which one is Ithiel and which one is Ukul, right? Is it Andrew, Peter, or Isaac? It's also possible that that by switching in different Hebrew vowels that verse 1 actually says, This man uttered, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and faint. Or another way of translating it would be, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Biblical scholars aren't 100% certain about which vowels belong where here because the original text didn't have any vowels. you imagine that? That's... Kind of like text talk. Do you notice that people have skipped a lot of vowels in their, when they text one another? Well, the Hebrews, they didn't bother with vowels. They just figured everybody would recognize uh, what the word was, and most of the time we can. What we do know is one thing. Agur did not have a big head. Agur was humble, and he didn't have an inflated opinion of himself. Listen to how he feels about himself. Verse 2, this is what he said to Ithiel and to Ukul. I am the most ignorant of men. 
I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Let me translate that into English. He said, duh. That's how he feels about himself. Is that how, who you would like to have, to have your Bible written for you? Obviously, it's who God wants to write Proverbs 30 for us. Actually, this is someone who has realized something very profound. Ready? On his own, Agur knows that he is not wise. On his own, Agur knows that he is not wise. We just sang it this morning, W-I-S-D-O-M. What's the second verse say? Left? Left to my own self, I always tend to go astray. But in the Bible, you reveal your perfect ways. You teach me to think like you instead of being a fool. Well, see, Agur knows that on his own, he's a fool. He's a brute. He's an ignoramus. What does Agur have? What's another name for this kind of humility before God? Class? The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of wisdom. Agur is saying, don't listen to me if what I tell you is just what I think. Who am I? What do I know? Nothing. More than that, he says that's what everyone is like down here. What does anyone know? I mean, really? Who truly has wisdom here on earth? Look at verse 4. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name in the name of his son? Tell me if you know. What, what, what does that sound like? What other Bible book does that sound like? Also in the wisdom literature. Job, yeah. What's the answer to all these rhetorical questions? Who has gone up to heaven and come down? What man has done that? You done that? I haven't done that. I've been in an airplane before. I've never been to heaven and come back. Who's gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Anybody ever just captured all the wind and put it in the middle of your hand? Who's wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who's got a, who's got a coat big enough for the ocean to fit in it? Not me. Who's established all the ends of the earth? What is his name in the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Some translations say, surely you know. It's a challenge. Come on, Agur says. Give me a name. Tell me who his son is. What, what guy on earth has got the corner on truth and wisdom? The answer is that nobody knows anything truly and fully and comprehensively. Nobody but God alone. So if we're going to truly know anything, we have to have a word from God. You see how that sets us up for verses 5 and 6? What's it say? Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words or He will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Agur says, I don't know diddly squat. Not really. Not on my own. But every word of God is, in a word, flawless. Now that is such good news because we live in such a flawed world. Have you ever felt like Agur does? I sure have. I do regularly. There is so much I don't know and so much that I often get wrong. 
and other people fail me too. Now, I have some heroes, especially some pastors and theologians who are my heroes, but they have feet of clay. They get it wrong too. The best of men are men at best, and they all make mistakes. But every word of God is flawless. That is so good to grab a hold of. Every word of God is flawless. Let's just break that down and think about it for a little bit. Let's ruminate on it, like we've learned this week in our classes on Proverbs. You take a proverb and you just turn it around and around and around and think about it. Some of you have been thinking about Proverbs all week long. Something that we said on Tuesday really hit you yesterday. That's the way they work. Now, this proverb is a little different than some of the ones we looked at this week, but it's still a proverb and operates in the same way. Let's think about it together and turn it over in our minds. First, every word. Not just some of them. God isn't like your best friend that you can trust most of the time. right? God is absolutely trustworthy in everything he says 100% of the time, 24-7, 365.25. Every word. He doesn't say every other word. Kind of read between the lines. Every word is flawless. Statements like this is where theologians get the phrase plenary verbal inspiration. I see that we have missionary Donnie Rosie with us today. Hey, Donnie, you passing through? Excellent. It's wonderful to have you here. We got picnic lunch for you today. Though watch out, you might get a, a tub of water uh, t- uh, dumped on you is what I hear today. I'm watching out. I'm watching my back today at, uh, at the picnic. You know what plenary verbal inspiration is? Big theological words. Plenary means full. It means every. No admixture of falsehood or untrustworthiness. Flawless through and through. What does verbal mean? Words, yeah. Words. The Bible is inspired by God down to the very words of Scripture. Not just the ideas or the concepts, but the very words of Scripture are the trustworthy words of God. And then inspiration means breathed out. It means it comes from God. Plenary, verbal inspiration. Every word of God is flawless. Wow, that is such good news. Think about that next word, flawless. Flawless, without flaw, perfect. The King James Version and the New Christian Standard Bible translate that word as pure. The English Standard Version uh, turns it into a, a verb, proves true. Every word of God proves true. The picture is that of a precious metal like silver or gold that has had its dross removed. It has been heated and cooled and heated and cooled until all the impurities have been risen off the top, up to the top and then scraped off. And what's left is 100% pure. Flawless. 100% trustworthy then. You can trust the words of God. Now that doesn't mean that there was a time when God's word was impure or flawful. It didn't go through a refining process. Agur is saying that this is just the way the Word of God is. It, it is like it had been through that process. Every Word of God is flawless. Of course, that doesn't mean that I understand all the words of God. If you understand all the words of God, you should be up here 
Not me. I don't. I don't know anyone who does either, though there are people much wiser than I. But as I do come to understand God's words, I know that I can trust them 100%. Now, every once in a while, there's a question about which words are God's and which ones aren't. Yesterday, I was at an ordination council in Ashland, Ohio, for Ronnie Martin, our church planning director, and we were asking, we were pushing him on these questions, questions about canon, uh, questions about textual criticism. We also saw in verse 1 that there are multiple ways of, of, of understanding where the vowels go, which might give us a little bit of confusion at times. And there are other places in Scripture where small copying errors have crept in over the centuries, and we have to make a judgment call about which reading is original. But catch this. There is no major doctrine affected by any of those insignificant textual questions. Not even one. Most of the time it's questions like, how many ins are there in John's name? Here there's two, here there's one. Which one was original? It's that kind of questions that our textual critics help us to, our scholars help us to understand. And we have so many thousands of ancient manuscripts at our fingertips that scholars can confidently reconstruct the originals within a percentage point or so of perfect accuracy. How, how many of you believe that Julius Caesar lived? Okay, some of you I'm wondering now about you. Okay. We have more manuscripts to prove the historicity of Jesus than we do of Julius Caesar, of original manuscripts. We have so many thousands of ancient manuscripts that we can confidently reconstruct the originals within a percentage point or so of perfect accuracy. The Lord has so preserved His Word that we have today virtually the same thing as was written thousands of years ago. Every word of God is flawless. That's why we have Family Bible Week. Because we've got a flawless Bible. Don't let somebody tell you the Bible's full of errors. If they do that, ask them which ones, and then look them up. I've done that again and again, and I have found that every word of God is flawless. Now, I don't always find the answer to the tough questions, and there are tough questions. I'm not arguing them away. But the problem, it seems to me, rests in my understanding of the solutions, not in the words of God themselves. Every word of God is flawless. Now let me say a word about translations. Here's what the words of Proverbs 30 verse 5 are. Okay? That's what it looks like. And actually, these are the vowels that, that weren't in the original. These little, these little chicken scratches are the vowels. The Bible was not written in English. It wasn't written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic. It was written in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic and in Greek. These are the words of God that are flawless. So the closer an English translation gets to capturing the meaning of those words, the better the translation is. But because Hebrew and Greek are not the same as English, that's not the same as English, is it? And because English changes throughout the years, it will take many English translations for us to get what is embedded in the flawless words of God in Proverbs 30 verse 5. So what you have in your hands is the written Word of God, the Word of God written, and it's authoritative for life because of the work of faithful translators. 
We can trust that we are reading the faithful words of God translated into our own heart language. I think that's awesome. Some translations are better than others. But most of the major translations are very, very good. Different translators have different translation philosophies. It's important to understand what the philosophy is of the translation that you're using. Some are emphasizing, for example, a more wooden, literal, word-for-word translation, which tends to make it sound like Greek and English, or Hebrew and English. It's, it's fairly bad English, but it preserves more of the word-for-word literalness. The New American Standard Bible is like that. Very good translation. Very wooden. Who's got anybody carrying an NASB right now? This is what you... John's got one in his lap this morning. Excellent. Now, on the other end of the spectrum are translations that emphasize a more thought-for-thought approach to translation. And they are often called more dynamic translations that still believe that the very words of God are flawless, but it will take different words in English to convey the very words of God from Hebrew in a thought-for-thought manner. On the far end of that spectrum is the Living Bible, which which was a paraphrase, or the New Living Translation. Those are some of the most dynamic in their message, in their approach. They are very readable. You might uh, lump in the message by Eugene Peterson in there too, but I don't think it's really a, a paraphrase even. It's more like an artistic reinterpretation. So these are good translations as well, but I probably wouldn't use them for my Bible study. What would I use? Well, the King James Version is always very good. It's now over 400 years old and going strong. Long live King James. Who's got the King James in their lap this morning? Yeah. It's proven to be an incredible translation of God's Word. I refer to it every week as I study. It's been a true gift to the church. Now, there are places where it could be improved in its textual basis, and especially in its modern English. I don't know if thee talk that way anymore. Do thou? Sometimes we don't know what it's talking about because we don't speak that English anymore. That English is a foreign language to us, but it's a good translation. As is the New King James Version, which took out some of the these and the thous and the other ancient language that we don't use, and neither did the authors of Scripture. Peter and Paul didn't use the King James Version, right? They wrote their own version in, in Greek. The translation my wife uses is the English Standard Version, or the ESV. How many have an ESV in your lap this morning? Yeah, a bunch of you. I've been reading that too for the last 15 years. It's more on the word-for-word side of things, and its translators have tried to keep the feel of the King James while giving the best of the up-to-date faithful scholarship to the translation. The ESV is the version that we've been using in Sunday school as we've been working through the Gospel Project over the last three years. I highly recommend the ESV. And if I were starting my preaching ministry today, I might preach from it every week. By the way, it's free on your phone or device. Just look up ESV and you can get it uh, free for you. For the last 20 years, I've been preaching from the new international version or the NIV. When I say turn in your pew Bibles to page whatever, whatever, you've been turning in in, in the 1984 NIV. It's been kind of the central Bible currency here at Lance Free Church. How many are looking at an NIV this morning? Okay. How many, do you know, how many have an 84 NIV in your lap? How many have a 2011 NIV in your lap? How many are, sir? <laughs> you, I gotta go look and see, yeah. Uh, 
I think that for many years it was in the dead center of the spectrum between readability and accuracy. Oh, I forgot. I've got a bunch of these. King James, NAS, New Living Translation, ESV. This is a 2011 NIV, 84 up here. It originally came out in 1973, same year I was born. And then it was updated in 1978 and then found its final form in 1984. Then in 2011, the Committee on Bible Translation published an updated version, also called the NIV. That's why it's a little confusing. They don't publish the 84 anymore. They only publish the, the 2011. The 2011 NIV has a slightly different translation philosophy than the 1984 version and a number of significant changes to it because the translators believe that English has changed significantly since 1984. So there's a newer NIV. It's actually seven or eight years old now. It's a really good translation, and I expect to be preaching some from it over time. The, the 2011 NIV is the one we've been giving out to graduates for the last several years on graduation Sunday, that they have uh, one that they can unlock on their phone and then a great big reference one that they can have on their desk. Another new Bible translation that just came out last year is the Christian Standard Bible, or the CSB. Uh, I got, a, I got a copy of it right here. This one is the CSB Study Bible. It's also a full-scale upgrade of a version called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a lot like the NIV to me. Very readable, very accurate combined. You know that musician Michael Card? He wrote the song El Shaddai or Why. Remember the choir saying Why around Easter time this year? Michael Card was the chief stylist for the CSB. So he went through every verse to make sure that it all uh, sounded the same, that, like, like it all came from the same, uh, the same feel to it, so it reads fluidly. I've been using the CSB uh, study Bible as I preach through the Gospel of Matthew, and I find it very helpful. The Catch the Word memory verse that we did this week for Family Bible Week, it was up on the screen earlier, was from the CSB. And our new Sunday School materials this fall will also be using the CSB. It's really good stuff. Now what I want to emphasize here is that all of these translations are good and faithful. Okay? I know I've bored some of you to death with just going through all these different translations and blah, 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 lots of facts and whatnot. My point is that they are all good and faithful. The scholars have done their work at translating God's Word that believe that every word of God is flawless, and their work reflects that. Not that they agree at every point. That would be great, but it hasn't happened yet. But they all agree that every word of God is flawless, and that we should not tamper with it. That's the point of verse 6. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Don't change them. Don't change them. Agur says, you don't want to go there. You don't know squat. I don't know squat. We should not presume to add to God's words. Now, he's not saying don't translate them. Right? Or we'd all have to learn Hebrew to be able to get to God's word. He's not saying that. He's saying don't throw in your own ideas. Now, obviously, at this point, the Bible wasn't completed, and Agur was adding to God's words by speaking these words to Ithiel and Ukul. But his words here were God's words too. He was inspired. And Agur doesn't go out on his own spreading his own wisdom, his own truth, his own ideas, his own concepts into the world. He knows he's a brute. He knows he's an ignoramus. He knows that on his own he's in trouble. 
So he says, do not add to his words or God will rebuke you and prove you a liar. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be rebuked by God for adding in my two cents. That's a temptation for a preacher. I'm up here and what are you going to know? I could slip all kinds of stuff in here if I, if I wanted to. No, I know you're paying attention. You've got your finger on the text. Where stands it written, Pastor Matt? But it is a temptation to say, here's what I think, instead of, thus saith the Lord. How scary it would be to be rebuked by God for adding to his word. How would you like the Lord to say to you, you're a liar? There will be foolish preachers who will have to hear God say that to them on the day of judgment. You liars. Why did you speak those words in my name? I would not want to be in their shoes. Every word of God is flawless. Don't mess with it. Don't add to it. And other scriptures say, don't take away from it. Don't be changing those words. Don't confuse his meaning and throw in your own stuff. Don't say, he can't mean that. For the things he does mean. And change it to suit your own desires, what your tickling ears want to hear. We don't get to customize the Bible. Make it say what we want it to say. What should we do with it? Trust it. Take refuge in him. Look again at verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That's a proverb. Those of you who have been studying Proverbs this week should recognize the, the basic pattern. It's a proverb that's actually quoting another part of the Bible. Agur is riffing on King David. The Bible loves to quote the Bible. And, and Agur was quoting David from Psalm 18, verse 30. Or 2 Samuel 22, I can't remember which verse. David sings, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. So, okay, class, we've been learning how to analyze the Proverbs. Let's do a little Proverbs analysis like we did all week in the adult class. The Hebrews like to what? The Hebrews like to repeat themselves. We call that Hebrew parallelism. Where would you divide this one up? Is there an A line and a B line? Where would you divide it, class? After flawless, okay? So, like, uh, whoop. Like that? Every word of God is flawless. That's the A line. B line. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Is that how you do it? All right. Is there a wise line and a foolish line? Is there a wise line and a foolish line? They're both wise lines, right? They're both talking about the Lord and, so, and, and his words, so they're both wise lines. What is the relationship between the A line and the B line? Is it A but B? Is it A is like B, is it A is better than B? Which is it? A is like B. Or uh, we could refine it just a little bit more to say A, what is more? B. Where B takes the idea another step. The second line is saying the same thing as the first line. I love how the focus shifts into the B line from the words of God to the, the very author of those words. You see the parallels? Every word of God and He, flawless, and shield? God's words are trustworthy because God is trustworthy. In fact, he says he's a shield. 
He's a safe place to hide behind. What he said is safe to believe. Let me say that again. What God says is safe to believe. What God says is safe to believe. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, is that just good information? The Proverbs are not just informational, they are transformational. That's right. Solomon's trying to do something to us. Agar, what does he want us to do? Take refuge in the words of God. Because every word of God is flawless. Here's how we say it in our EFCA statement of faith. This is what we were asking Ronnie questions about yesterday. We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Amen? See, that's why we have Family Bible Week. That's why we have an adult class at Family Bible Week. The Bible isn't just something we give to the kids. It's something we need. I need your wisdom, Lord, each day. That's why I preach on the B-I-B-L-E. So that we can go get the wisdom that we need for life. This is a glorious thing to hang on to. What are you going to do about it? Read your Bible. If every word of God is flawless, why wouldn't we read our Bibles? I talk to people all the time who say that they pray, but they don't read the Scriptures. Friends, that's a one-sided relationship. Right? Imagine a friendship where only one of you talks and the other person just listens and never the other way around. Heather might think that's how it works in our relationship. I do all the talking, she does all the listening. But imagine. Oh no, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to listen to you ever. I'm only going to talk to you. To the one who has all the wisdom? Yes, talk to him. We should pray. God wants us to pray. But he wants us to listen too. It goes both ways. Read your Bible and believe what it says and do what it says. Take refuge in the author of the Bible, in his words. Find your safe place there. What is your plan for meeting with God over the pages of Scripture this week? If you don't have a plan to do it, it's probably not going to happen. You won't fall into reading your Bible. It almost never happens. What's your plan? To get into the Word. I've tried to show the adult class this week how you could just take one proverb a day and meet with God over that one proverb and how good that would be for growing in the art of living skillfully, of knowing the right thing to do in a given situation, of being a wise person. Take refuge in the author of the Bible. July is birthday month for our family. Heather has a birthday. Robin had a birthday. She just turned 18. Peter has a birthday. He just turned 15. Isaac has a birthday. Just this week, he was teaching at Family Bible Week as he turned 14. I can't believe how old they're all getting. Drew's going to be 17 in December. There was supposed to be another July birthday in our family. 
Her name was Carice. And she would have turned 19 this month if we had gotten to keep her. Back in 1999, Heather was six months pregnant with a very active little girl. I put my hand on her tummy and she beat me back, you know. Push back on you, Daddy. And then the worst thing that we could imagine happened. This little girl died in her mommy's womb. I was in Ashland, Ohio yesterday. We were in, supposed to be in Ashland, Ohio then when we realized that the baby had stopped moving. We took a painful ride to the hospital in Mansfield, Ohio, where they confirmed our worst suspicions. There was a cord accident. Her umbilical cord just wrapped too tightly, and she went to sleep and never came back. I have never cried so hard or so long as I did in that hospital room. Last couple weeks ago at Challenge, I spoke to teens about this. I told that story there about that terrible day. We drove back home to Mountain Inn Medical Center. It was called Center Community back then. Heather was induced, and we held our little one in our arms for the first and the very last time. We named her Carice. Carice means grace because she was grace to us. How do we know that? How do we know that she was grace to us? Because of God's words. In that time of terror and sadness and grief, Heather and I held on to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, that's God's words. And that was our refuge. I don't know what we would have done if we didn't have God's words. If we didn't know Romans 8.32, then we would have been lost in our grief. And I couldn't be preaching 20 years later. But we knew then, and we know now, that His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, by these he's given us very great and precious promises. And they will all come true. None of the words of God fall to the ground. Every word of God is flawless, and he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Friends, I'm the most ignorant of men. You don't have to say amen. I don't have a man's understanding. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. I've not gone to heaven and come down. I've not gathered up the wind in the hall of my hand. I've not wrapped up the waters of my coat. I've not established the ends of the earth. I don't know why my daughter died. But I know that every word of God is flawless. And I know that He's a shield to those who take refuge in Him. 